Lauren Brunvon, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming back on and giving us a second chance. With sound this time. <laughs> With huh? sound. We have audio now. All right. So thanks for coming on. You're making us look good. Hopefully. <clears throat> so uh, for all the people out there who may not know, give me a little background on, on what you do. Criminal defense lawyer in uh, primarily in the Tampa Bay area, but doing business all over the United States and wherever the cases take me. Um, been doing it for about 30 years. Wow. And then how, how did you, how did you start or like, where did you, how did you originally get interested in law? Like what were you doing or, you know, where, what age were you and where were you when you decided you wanted to become a lawyer? So it was probably about 14 uh, and I'd just been to a movie with a buddy of mine and um, it was about a trial lawyer. I can't remember the, what the movie was. It was back in Norway. And as we were walking out from the movie theater, I said, well, that looks like a cool thing to do for a living. And he looked at me and said, oh, that's way too difficult for you. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to show you. <laughs> so that's really when I decided I was going to be a lawyer. I mean, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. Um, right. my, my dad was an oral surgeon. All his friends were doctors. So the doctor route was out because I didn't want to do what my dad did and his friends did. And yeah. at the time, it seemed like the logical thing to do. Looking back, I should, probably should have gone into computers and software, but, you know, probably wasn't smart enough for that anyways. Definitely not as interesting as what you do. And, and then how did you get, <clears throat> did you just kind of like fall into these interesting cases that you are in now? Or did, was that kind of an, inter- like, for instance, murder cases and big drug cases, were those like an interest when you started or did you just kind of fall into that? I think that the biggest interest when I started was was probably capital murder cases. Um, when you say what does capital murder mean? Capital murder means cases where the state of Florida or the federal government are seeking the ultimate penalty, which is the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And um, in college, um, I was fortunate enough during a time period when I was volunteering with an agency who represented people on death row to actually go on death row and and meet someone who was sentenced to death and, and spend some time with him. And that was probably the moment that I decided I wanted to do that kind of work and, and try to help people that were on death row. Okay, so walk me through the first big case, the Russian case. How did that, how did that come about? How did you fall into, into that case? I don't know if that's the first big case. That's not but, the first but, big case. But it's a big case. Right. It's a big case. It's definitely and one of your most famous cases, right? It probably is. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's the case that I was not supposed to be able to win. Right. Uh, my client uh, was charged with uh, being in possession of three and a half tons of cocaine on a freighter off the coast of Colombia. Uh, he admittedly ordered the crew to take on the cocaine. Um, and um, he was the captain of the freighter. Um, and and um, to be able to get a not guilty verdict in that case was, was uh, I thought it was possible. I don't think you could ever sell something to a jury unless you think it's possible, but it was a Hail Mary pass, and, and uh, fortunately for him, we succeeded. And had, had you ever heard of any kind of case like this before that had been successfully beaten or I don't know that I'd heard of of the captain of a freighter being found not guilty after ordering crew to take on that much cocaine um I certainly had there had been cases where crew members um were found not guilty you know uh, the defense being we didn't know we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into that type yeah. of thing um but but as far as the captain's concerned I would say no um you know, Yuri, who was who was my client, uh, was from the Ukraine. Um, he knew uh, that uh, it was very likely that he was going to be convicted, and uh, he was because of that was willing to enter a guilty plea in return for a ten year sentence. The problem was, in order to be able to plead to a ten year sentence, the government wanted him to testify that the other crew members knew that they were taking on cocaine before they left Panama. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, I, I can't do that. It's not the truth. I'm, I, I just can't do it. And knowing that he was likely going to then die in prison. 
So if convicted, he's facing what life sentence? He was so he was basically um, it wouldn't be a life sentence because he was brought here from. Well, actually, for him, it could have been a life sentence. Uh, if he came from, if he's extradited from Colombia, there's limitations. You can get about, I think, the max is thirty-five years. Okay. But for him, uh, he could get a life sentence. He probably would have received a sentence about of about thirty years if he's convicted guilty. Right. Trial. And, and he was in his mid fifties. So yeah. So that's basically the remainder of most of his life. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the jury initially deliberated, and there was about 16 co-defendants. And so initially they deliberated, and they had reached verdict as to everybody except for my client, the captain, and someone who was listed as the electrician on, on the boat. Um, and so then they, they said they were deadlocked on, on the captain and the electrician, and so then the, ju- the judge will read them what's called an Allen charge, which basically says, go back, try your best to reach a verdict. This has been a very costly trial. It's costing taxpayers a lot of money. If there's any way that you can reach a verdict, you know, please give it one other try. And so they did, and they spent another day deliberating, and we come back, and then we were told that they had reached a verdict on one and that they were hung on the other one. So... The court, they, when, when they're reading the verdict, the, 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 the court first reads the verdict of the electrician, who, and the, the jury still hung on him. They couldn't reach a verdict on the electrician. And the concern at that point was, all right, well, they probably found the captain guilty because they were hung on the electrician. Um, and so when the verdict was read of, of, of my client, Yuri Chakrak, um, it was not guilty. And um, wow. interestingly, Yuri always said he was an atheist. Um, growing up in the Soviet Union, it makes sense because there really wasn't religion, wasn't part of his, his, his uh, childhood. But the inter- interesting part about Yuri, when the re- verdict was reached, he stood up, put his hands together, and looked up towards the ceilings as if uh, he figured there was some higher power that was wow. involved in helping him out. Right. I think I had something to do with yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, power. I think he should have looked at you. <laughs> well, he was very, he, he yeah. appreciated what I did very much. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. So. And how long, how long did this whole trial last? The trial lasted about a month. One month, okay. Right. And <clears throat> why do most of these trials go, like big drug trials, like cases like this, why do you think they go to Tampa Bay versus another place? Like, why do you think the trial was held in Tampa? Was that... Was that the port that the ship was headed to? No, no. The ship was headed, um, well, according to the government, the ship was headed to, to uh, Poland. And when you say according to the government, what do well, you Well, so their theory. I mean, okay, their, okay. their belief was that um, it was a ship that was taking three and a half tons of cocaine uh, from the Colombian cartels uh, on this freighter to Gdansk, Poland, uh, to the to the Russian cartel. Wow. Um, and and my argument was that everyone on the ship, including the captain, were mere pawns of the cartels. Um, and, and you know, one of the interesting moments in the trial uh, is when my client is on the witness stand, and my guy was a big guy, and and the prosecutor um, is questioning him about this other captain that had boarded the ship right before they left uh, Panama, who was a Colombian and who was a witness for the government saying everybody knew that it was cocaine, everyone knew what they were doing. And and the prosecutor looked at my client and, and, and he said, you're not afraid of the, co- the Colombian captain. And, and my client looked at the prosecutor and looked at the Colombian captain and he said, nah, I'm not afraid of the the Colombian captain, but I am afraid of the organization behind the Colombian captain. Yeah. And, and, and that was basically his story. I mean, that um, he'd been recruited by a legitimate shipping agency in the Ukraine. They knew where his family was located. They, they knew uh, where his wife, his kids, his, his, his parents, where everyone was. And, and, you know, if he stepped out of the box and did something that, the uh, Russian mob didn't approve of or the Colombian cartel didn't approve of, 
there would be consequences. And so because of that, he just felt like he didn't have a choice. Right. But to carry on with what he was told to do. Wow. And, I mean, it seems like just from, like, what you're saying is that most of the time, or however long this has been happening, the, quote, war on drugs, it's like all of the guys like Yuri, the pawns, are the ones that are getting locked up and getting these really long sentences when the big guys with all the money, the leaders, can are able to make deals and and work their way out of it. Right, right. So uh, you were asking about, you know, how how it is that Tampa is oh, the, sort of yeah, the yeah, epicenter yeah, right. for, for these type of cases. So <clears throat> so for about uh, probably 20 years, um, uh, there's been an, uh, an organization or operation called the Panama Express, which is basically uh, part of the war on drugs. Um, it's an effort to stop the uh, flow of cocaine and other drugs from Colombia and Mexico into the United States. Um, and for some reason, the, the, the center for prosecution, or one of the biggest centers for prosecution of these cases, has been uh, the Tampa Bay area. Uh, uh, Go-fast boats, uh, semi-submersible submarines that are caught in the Pacific Ocean that, that you would think would end up going to San Diego, Right, end up coming to Tampa Bay. Uh, boats in the Caribbean, it's the same thing. They end up coming to Tampa Bay. And there has probably been thousands, uh, not probably, there's been thousands of Colombians, Ecuadorians, uh, Mexicans, um, who mostly are poor uh, fishermen, uh, people that are desperate to make uh, some money, whether it's because they have a relative who is sick or kids that they're trying to put through school or, or they're just desperate to, to make a dollar. And they're the ones that initially end up getting charged. They're the ones that end up doing the long sentences. Right. Uh, the idea is that by going after these um, submarines, go fast and, 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 and freighters and what have you, that sooner or later you, you will uh, catch the big boys, the guys that are in charge of it all. And and in reality, you do. At, at, at some point, you do get to the big boys. Um, unfortunately, the big boys are smart enough to know that they want to cooperate from, from the get-go, and so they end up getting very, very light sentences. Um, in, in fact, some of them, in my opinion, uh, are powerful enough and influential enough where they can sit in, a, in an American prison and pay someone in Colombia to load a boat full of drugs, pay some peasants to get on it, and then hand off the coordinates to the U.S. government right. to make it look like they just happened to you know, find this uh, go-fast vessel, a semi-submersible full of cocaine, and then they get a reduction in their sentence while these just have to pay a tax. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Were you court appointed for that case, or right. they hired they, you're no court appointed. For, for for the Russian? I was court appointed. I've, I've been retained by people out of Colombia, um, uh, but but on the the Russian case, I was court appointed. So since then, you've been re you've been hired in cases similar to this. Well, I've been hired by people that are being extradited from Colombia. So people that are actually operating out of Colombia. Um, uh, the people that are, they're really after, uh, the people that they're trying to get to by going after all the little people, yeah, um, are people that are usually never step foot anywhere near cocaine, but but they're orchestrating it all, and and I've been retained by some of those people to really to represent them and from a result from the not guilty. Uh Sentence or whatever. Who knows? Who yeah. knows what the reason is? Maybe I mean, how do these guys? Or... How do these guys get a hold of you? How do they get in touch mm. with you? Um, you? You know, it's um, variety of reasons. Yeah. I mean, it it helps to be able to say that I had a cl client who was caught with three and a half tons of cocaine right, and he was found not guilty. Right. But the majority of the cases never go to trial. They they are being resolved in plea bargaining and and cooperation. Um. Uh, you know, I, I think the, not I think, I know the reason that I started getting some of these cases is I was called for a court-appointed case in Tampa 
And it was a, a gentleman who had been extradited from London. Um, he's now deceased, um, but he had been extradited from London. It was about 10 years ago. Um, and um, I was called to court to accept an appointment. When I arrived outside the courthouse, I received a phone call from the court saying, you know, he already has a lawyer. You don't, you know, we don't need you. And instead of just saying, okay, well, I'm out of here, uh, I asked a simple question. I said, are you guys, do you know if the lawyer is here? And they said, no, the, the lawyer is in Houston, Texas. So I said, well, why don't I just come up, you know, as a friend of the court, I'll talk to the gentleman, I'll help him out, I'll, I'll help him get in touch with his lawyer who's yeah. in Houston, Texas. And, and so it turned out by me doing that, without any expectation that I was going to get anything out of it, I ended up being hired as local counsel along with the, the Houston, Texas lawyer. And that lawyer already had a strong connection to Columbia. Okay. And so he would then introduce me to people and bring me in on cases um, mm -hmm. where people were actually hiring us or considering hiring us out of Columbia. Wow. I mean, do you ever fear for your safety when you're doing this kind of stuff? I mean, obviously, these guys have, are pretty dangerous, a potential to be pretty dangerous. Potentially, potentially. I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, you have to be careful anywhere you go in the world, but I, I, don't, I don't fear for my safety. Uh, I make sure that I don't lie. I make yeah. sure that I don't um, suggest that I can do something that I that I can't you do. You can't guarantee your... uh, you can never guarantee anything. Right. But, but if 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 I think that maybe I can get, you know, a ten year sentence, I may say I could probably get a fifteen year sentence. Right. Because I'd rather have a client that's going to be happy about the ten year sentence than right. than you know, disappointed he got fifteen. Exactly. Exactly. And and quite frankly, with those guys, if they play their cards right, they usually get below 10 years, um, which is kind of crazy because they deal in hundreds of thousands of kilos of cocaine and hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and, and you know, net profits for some of those guys is in the billions of dollars. It's like huge corporations. Wow. And these co the corporations that are run out of these countries like Colombia, like out of Colombia, out of, out of you know, I mean, out, out of Russia. I mean, it's, um, throughout the world, there, yeah. there are organizations, you know, that that are criminal organizations that that you know have a lot of money, a lot of <laughs> lot of. Uh, they just send you a jet and fly to. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I know. I fly down there. We meet down there. You know. Um, and uh, I, mean, I met with clients in Colombia. I met with clients and agents in Panama. Um, and uh, it's you know it, it's there's definitely a security aspect to it. Um, but you know you just uh, I I've never I've never been concerned. I never felt that, no. that it wasn't safe. Uh, and um, when we meet with agents, you know they're very careful. You know we make be told that, you know, go and go to such and such a hotel, wait in the lobby for further instructions, we'll sit in the lobby and wait, and then we'll be told, okay, come up to such and such a room, um, and then we'll have meetings. And, and, and you won't be by yourself, you'll have... No, no, yeah. there'll be uh, other, uh, usually another lawyer there, investigators, mm -hmm. agents. Okay. Yeah. That's a little bit more comforting, at least. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, like what we were saying before, when I was, um, when we were talking about how a lot of these trials go to Tampa, um, do they get, a, they get a lot more convictions out of Tampa? Cause I think so. It's more conservative. I think so. A lot of old people down here. Right. I think they, they were definitely more conservative, uh, more likely to convict, I think, than, ca than California, California, San Diego, even Miami. Yeah. Um, uh, this is still a, it's a very conservative area and, right. and, uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's, um, to what degree prejudice is, is part of the equation. I, I think prejudice is always part of the equation, unfortunately. And so, you know, did it help that the Russians all looked like Midwestern farmers? You know, they didn't look like, they didn't look like, um, People from south of the border, they right. didn't look like, 
they just looked like regular American farmers. Right. Uh, and and unfortunately, that probably helped them. Uh, the the ones that, you know, the peasants from Colombia who looked like, um, they don't look like right. the average American right. juror that, that's going not white, side they're, that. They're not white-skinned. They're, they're not white-skinned. Right. They're dark-skinned. Um, they speak a different language and, you know. Is Jarvis still working with you? He is. He is. Yeah, we're doing starting a five week um, capital murder trial in Polk County on second week of January. Really? Yeah. Capital murder, you said? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. How long would how long do those usually go on for? Like a capital murder case? Three to five weeks. Yeah. Yeah. If you're taking it to trial. Right. That's yeah. what I meant. The, you're fi- the it trial. To tri- three the to trial five takes three to five. The weeks. preparation part. Yeah. How long? That can go three, on for three, a really three long time. Three to five right? years, right. and sometimes more. And they're usually sitting in custody during yes. that time? Yes. Serving time during the preparation for the trial. Right. Right. It's very, very unusual for someone charged with first-degree murder to have a bond. To have a bail, yeah. Yeah, sometimes right. uh, it happens, um, but it's very unusual. So if you're sitting in there, say, for three to five years, and you get found not guilty... Do you, get, do, you get, do you get it compensated? Sure. Do you get compensated for anything at all? No. No. Unless you can prove that you're innocent. And not only that, okay. you, had, you had to prove that you're innocent and you had to prove that the prosecutor and, and the agents knew it. Oh, okay. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, they really should. We really should compensate people that are found not guilty. Right. That's sitting. a lot of time to sit in jail yeah. to be not guilty for right. something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had people that were sentenced to death. Right, sitting on death row. Or... Sitting on, so they're sitting, first they're sitting to wait for their trial, then they're convicted, then they're sentenced to death, then they're sitting on death row for several years, and then we win the appeal. And then so they walk out of a prison free, you know, not guilty. Right. Their lives are destroyed. Right, after and we give, and 10 we give, plus and we give, years. And we give them nothing. <sighs> Right, you probably your name's ruined after that. You can't yeah, go back I mean, to your normal job, and right, the I mean, people you, you know aren't looking at you the same anymore. Right, right. You think about it. You go to apply for a job, and and uh, and they say you ever been charged with a crime, and say, well, I was charged with murder, but I was found not guilty. Yeah. Probably not going to get hired. Right, right. right. <sighs> just for being involved, just for right. being even a suspect. Right, right. And you can right. be completely innocent. For right, it. because people basically, you know, I had a, I had a case uh, years ago with with a judge who I love. Um, it was early on in my career, and my client, we had been, gone to, to trial on the case. He was found not guilty. He gets released from jail. He's, he's out for less than a month. He gets rearrested. He comes back in. We go to trial again. This time he's found guilty. And the judge was going to hammer him, and, and so he, he goes through his prior record, and he would, get, he would name off an offense, like possession of cocaine. Sure. And I would say, Judge, he was found not guilty of that. All right, so he got away with that one. You know, I mean, it's like they don't really... They don't look at it the way they should. No, right? I mean, it, it should be looked at because you go into the trial and and the jury is is is, is told you're, you're, you're supposed to presume the person innocent. Can you presume the person right. innocent? They're like, oh, everyone is like, sure, mm-hmm. we can do that. But we really don't presume anyone innocent. No. I mean... In my opinion, we don't. Right, um, it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Right, and then but you it would seems so, the opposite. Right, and you would think, okay, well, so if you're presumed innocent, then you go to trial and you're found not guilty. Shouldn't that mean that you're innocent? Shouldn't that end it? Right, but it doesn't. No, it does. I mean, that sticks on your name forever. Yeah, yeah. That's well, a because shame. people make up their own minds, and yeah. right, you know, people think they know everything. They know they have all the answers, and yeah. You know, everything is black and white instead of you know shades of gray. So, wow. Do you think it could possibly change from being like that one day, <clears throat> being looked at like that, or maybe being more on the track of innocent till proven guilty? I or think it's. A, I think I think it's something to strive for. Yeah. Um. But. If if social media is a reflection of our society, right. there's an awful lot of black and white on social media, yeah. and very little um, open mind. You know, I, I would consider and right. listen to everything. It's sort of like this is how it is. Right. This is it. And this is it. 
right? Yep. And and so I would hope that that's not necessarily a reflection of our society, but it probably is. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, I think we sh- we wouldn't have any issue saying if you've been falsely accused and 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 acquitted, you ought to be compensated at least at least give you the basics, you know, that you would have right. made during that time period. Right. right. Maybe what you were making before. Give you a chance of start starting your life over. You right. So. Let's for a sec. Let's talk about the um, Oscar Bolin case for a second. Um, that was pretty insane experience for me in particular because I got to go with you um to that town Stark right in mid Florida during um the time when he was executed and we got to capture a lot of it and, and kind of like interview a lot of people there, like victims families and um a lot of the people who were against the death penalty. We met a lot of people who had been on death row and then got exonerated from death row. Um Talk to me a little bit about your experience with that case and with Oscar Bo- the Oscar Bolin case. He had been on death row for about thirty years, right? And or he was about twenty years. About okay, about twenty years. Um, and basically, the day we were there, it was it was really intense because the whole time you were communicating back and forth with the Supreme Court trying to determine if they were going to do um, have a stay on his execution. So nobody knew whether he was going to actually get executed that day or not. Um, could you walk me through that day and, and kind of your experience with that case? And Sure. Um, so, I mean, first of all, leading up to that... Um, you know, all the way from, from early on in college and through my career, um, I had dealt with people facing the prospect of being sentenced to death. I, I had clients that were sentenced to death. I had clients who uh, were facing the death penalty but avoided the death penalty. Um, and so certainly had dealt with that aspect of it. Um, this was definitely not anywhere near your first case like this. You had no, but it was my first case where there was a pending execution. Okay, um, and so what happens? Um, uh, I had been uh, assigned to or, or asked if I would represent Oscar um, by his wife Rosalie, um, probably about two years before his execution. So at, that, at this point, he had gone through his trials. He had been found guilty. Some of the cases, he had gone through all the appeals. Um, and um, uh, I agreed to, um, to to try to help. Um, and uh, knowing that at some point, uh, the governor was probably going to sign his death warrant, which... Usually, the, the, when the death warrant is signed, there's about a 60 to 75-day window from the time it's signed until the scheduled execution date. And um, during that time period, you're basically working nonstop. You know, it's myself, Jervis. Uh, we had two other lawyers from um, a capital resource center that was uh, helping us out, and we were basically working nonstop. Uh, filing appeals, um, doing uh, everything we possibly could to to get relief. Um, we filed in in the state trial court. We filed. Um, we uh, we appealed the denial in the state trial court to um, the Florida Supreme Court. Uh, we appealed the denial in the Florida Supreme Court to the United States Supreme Court. We we filed in the federal district court at the trial level. We appealed that to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. When that's denied, then we appealed it to the United States Supreme Court. We also uh, sought uh, relief from the governor. And so so basically you're doing everything you possibly can, sort of like being, I guess, for a doctor, being in surgery trying to save someone's life. Right. And um, so the day of the execution, um, all this stuff has been going on for 75 days. And, And I spent a lot of time with Oscar Bolin and, and, and with Rosalie um, visiting at the prison, getting to know him better, uh, 
How what, much time would you say you spent with him personally? Nowhere near as much as time as Rosalie did. Rosalie would see him every single day. I mean, every single week, two days a week for like 20 years. But wow. but I saw him a lot. I mean, I saw I spent several days with him uh, during that time period, um, combined, you know, um, and um, you know, regardless of guilt or innocence, uh, realized that he, uh, you know, whether or not he was um, the person that he was accused of being and convicted of being, or not. Um, he was someone at this point that obviously cared for his wife, uh, and and there was nothing wrong with him from a health standpoint. I mean, um, he wasn't a danger to anyone because he, he was never going to be released from prison um, unless you know at some point we learned that he was actually innocent. And so um, that day was 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 probably one of the most difficult days of my life. Um, I arrived on on um, at Stark um, about one p.m. I believe it is. Everything's on lockdown. Um, I remember you had asked me if you could fly your drone over the prison. Yeah, I, I did. said probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless oh you wanted God. to be shot down. Right. That yeah, that um, was one of the most unforgettable days of my life too. Right. That was right. just like. <sighs> so. Um, so then we're we're waiting and 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 you know in the prison you can't have your phones with you, um, and so first I'm sitting in the lobby outside the warden's office and and waiting and myself and and his spiritual advisor, um, and then we go into the chapel which is this really nice chapel in the middle of Florida State Prison which is where people are who are have facing the death penalty or the people that just can't get along with others. I mean, it's it's the high-security uh, prison. Um, and it looks like an actual church inside of there? Yeah, it's a, it's a church. It's okay. it's a church inside of there. I mean, it's, it looks just wow. like a church, except it's, it's smack in the middle of a prison. And, right. and so we're there, myself and the spiritual advisor, and everyone else who's there are victims, families, um, law enforcement, some prosecutors, and they were all just sort of congregating there, waiting to hear. Obviously, I'm hoping that the Supreme Court's going to grant a stay of execution. Um, at this point, I can't. I have no access to my client. Um, uh, where where is he at this time? So he is in a special cell, uh, uh, awaiting uh, the announcement to then go into the death chamber. Okay. So the only one that I think there's two people that have contacts with them: the warden. And and then uh, the first assistant, I think he's called. Um, okay. No one else has contact with him, and and the, and they were wonderful. I mean, the warden was wonderful. Um, um, but we're sitting there, and it's kind of awkward, you know, because I'm, I guess I'm, from the victim's family standpoint, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, they probably and don't like you. They were yeah. all in there in this little chapel with sure. You. Sure, and they were they were all kind, oh, but I mean, you just feel that there's a little bit of tension, you know. Yeah. Probably wish That's I wasn't putting it there. Lightly. Yeah. Right. So then, then we get the word that that the Supreme Court has not granted a stay, and and then we are escorted into the viewing area in the death cha- death chamber, um, and it's a small room. There's um, about four rows, four or five rows of chairs. Uh, fits probably about 20 people sit uh, to be seated. And then there's in the back row, um, uh, news reporters are allowed in the back and other special guests, I guess. Um, and so I'm sitting right on the front row along with the spiritual advisor looking through the window and uh, Oscar is being placed on the gurney. Um, you know, his arms are strapped down. Uh, he's laying on his back. He's able to lift his head. He's able to see me and, and the spiritual advisor. Um, you know, he mouths thank you to both of us. Uh, didn't have any last words. Um, I think he was, you know, he was ready. He yeah. was, he was tired of of of, um, of uh, being incarcerated. I think he was just ready to go. Uh, but it to me to then see a perfectly healthy human being 
being executed with 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 this you know cocktail of drugs uh is just uh grotesque in my opinion i mean it just it makes no sense um and um and was that was that the first execution you witnessed that's the first one i witnessed and i'm Hopefully. hoping it's the last <laughs> right. one that i witnessed uh it's it's not something i wish for anyone i mean um the um uh, I'll do it again just to support the client, but yeah. but um, that that would be the only reason I would do it again. Are you obligated to be there and watch that? No. No. He asked you to. Does you he know, want you to be there, or so? Or do you he, just feel like you he, want to be? He there? is allowed to have two people there. Okay, uh, one member of the legal team and one spiritual advisor, and that's it. No family, that's it. no nothing. That's it, and um, and so. You know, I asked the warden before. He told me, I didn't, he said, my client said, um, if you want to be there, you know, I'd like for you to be there. If you don't want to be there, don't worry about it. And so I asked the warden, I said, can he see me? If mm-hmm. I'm there, can he see me? Will he be able to see that I'm there? And know you're and there. He, and know you're there. And he said, yes. And and so I was like, okay, you know, I'll be one one of two friendly faces right so that he feels like he has some Somebody. comfort and you know someone who cares and is this room is it like set up like a theater like a like yeah. there's seats in like like fucking there's window gla- there's glass and you're sitting right up i mean um his feet are probably right here i mean the glass the glass is right here i'm sitting right here yeah he's that close. probably there and and then his head so know, he's like five feet in front of you yeah yeah. That has to be an intense moment. That's yeah. it's just like to think that they actually have that a theater set up for human beings to watch somebody die is <coughs> just like so barbaric. Right. Right. I mean and I mean doctors will not participate in in in, in doing this because their oath they're not supposed to help someone die die or kill someone right. it's not just it's not helping someone die either You're i mean, killing I, mean them. I i understand if 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 you know if if i'm very sick and in a lot of pain and you want to go and and i'm just you know i want to go i i don't really have an issue with that but yeah. but the for someone who's healthy and there's nothing wrong with them and and for us to just to 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 premeditatively kill that person uh, it just sends all kinds of wrong messages. It, it sends a message that it's okay to kill people under certain circumstances. And, right. You know, uh, in barbaric societies, I mean, that, yeah, that's what happened. But the problem is, if <clears throat> if you don't control that, I mean, then we end up killing each other out, you know, because you know, just keep going back and forth and everyone gets killed. So the whole idea is society is supposed to sort of put some brakes on, on that type of behavior. I mean, a lot of countries have banned the death penalty. And most worse. most civilized countries have banned the death penalty. Right. It's not we're one of the few. Right, right. I think we're the only civilized when you know civilized in in, in that sense, mm. uh, the only Western country that still has the death penalty. You know, I mean, right up along with with China and Russia, it seemed to be like the big. Uh, yeah, they still have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, China they. They 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 have like mobile execution units. They kill people for drug drug offenses. You know we had um, I represented a guy named Tam Fuk Yuk, who's a Chinese guy from Hong Kong, and he was caught with with about three tons of cocaine. And we went to trial, and they were on the the vessel was called Tam Fuk Yuk. He was the owner of the vessel. It was the, the vessel was his name. The vessel was his name. Like a little, <laughs> like diff, it. little difficult to claim that he didn't know. You know, he wasn't fucking around. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we went to trial, and my client and 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 his brother-in-law, who was the captain, they were both convicted, and then all the others were uh, found not guilty. So I remember going down to Chrome, where they detain people before they get. Um, sent back to in their case it would be back to China and they all had a legitimate concern 
that they expressed to me that, yeah, we were found not guilty, which is wonderful, but we're afraid that we're going to go back to China and we're going to get executed. Even though they were found not guilty. Right, right. Is that that the country would still do that? Potentially. That's that was their concern. Yeah. You know, because I mean they they execute people over there for drug offenses and I mean th- these guys were on a on a boat that was supposedly bringing tons of cocaine back to Hong Kong. Right. Holy shit. So And the process- I don't know I don't know what happened if anything happened. I hope nothing happened to them, but Yeah. yeah. Wow. And the process is way different in China, obviously, than here. I mean, obviously, you don't get a, the same kind of trial. I mean, you, get. you know, I haven't studied it, but right. if you Google, like, China and mobile execution units, you you, you know. Mobile it, execution units. Right. right. So what does that mean? They come to you they and write, execute you? The, uh, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Uber execution. Yeah. Right. God damn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. And I would think that we, as a society, should be better than that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Like, what do you think the future, like, do you see in the future us ever evolving away from that? Like, how, how do you what, see a change coming anytime soon? Or? So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm always hopeful. Um, you know, a lot of the northern states don't have the death penalty. Okay. Uh, but the federal government does. Right. And then the southern states, most of the southern states do. Um, you know, I, I, I'm always hopeful. I think that it's going to change. But then when I do jury selection in these type of cases, and, and at the beginning of, of jury selection, we, we, we do what's called death qualification. It basically means that the jurors that either are automatic death penalty jurors or automatic life jurors get excluded. Okay. And so the people... Um, that have strong issues, one I mean, or strong opinions, one way or the other. Either if you're, if you're guilty of premeditated murder, you should always get the death penalty. Right. Or if if um, I'm so opposed to the death penalty, I would never impose the death penalty. Right. Those those people are excluded, and it's scary that I would say about fifty percent of the potential jurors fall in that category. And that probably fairly equal. Penalty? Well, let's say 25 say always the death penalty. 25% says never the death penalty. And so then you have the other 50%. Yeah. And the other 50%, they don't, see, they don't seem too bothered with considering the death penalty as a penalty. So I don't, I don't see it being abolished in the South anytime soon. I wish it was. I mean, I'd rather do something else. I'd rather work yeah. on other types of cases. And not that I don't enjoy it, but I just, I mean, right. I'd rather not have the death penalty as part of the equation. Yeah. And Rosalie married, she got married to Oscar right. while he was on death row. That's correct. Or, that right, seems, or right before he went there. That just like blows my mind how, I mean, obviously there's a, it's common, right? That, people will marry other people that are on death row when they're free sure why do you how does that happen how why do you why do people do you probably should ask rosalie that question probably should ask her i mean but uh, in your opinion like what is your you know because you're you get closer to these people than i I would think that I, i would say that they're they are i mean rosalie is a very loving caring individual yeah and 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 um, Rosalie genuinely, sincerely um, uh, has always believed and will always believe until the day she dies that Oscar was innocent. So that's just part of the equation as to why, I mean, you know, just because you believe someone's innocent and because you're caring and loving doesn't mean that you have to marry someone on that throw. But, but, the rest of the story, you'll have to ask Rosalie. Right. Uh, as far as the others, I mean, there's a lot of people, women that from all over the world that will marry people on death row. And I don't know, I don't really know why that is. Yeah. Um, it, but it's definitely a phenom- phenomenon. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it happens. It's, um, yeah. uh, people will send money to people on death row. You actually get a, you almost have a, uh, a higher status 
if you're on death row than if you're doing a life sentence. Right. I mean, it, it's like you're somebody. Right. When, because you're going to be Because you're on death row. Uh, if, uh, and, and I think maybe part of it is that other societies, uh, you know, Western European societies, it's so strange and so foreign to them, the concept that this human being is going to be executed and right. killed, that maybe that's why they step out. And there may be things going on in their lives, you know, and maybe, you know, their way of telling some ex-husband, fuck you, or something like that, you know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the... Um, you, you had to ask those those women that, but I mean... Right. Um, but the ones that I have met, and I've met a few, all very nice, very kind. A few uh, people who have married somebody else? Sure. Okay. Yeah. That was locked up. That was... On, on death, death row. On death, on death row, row, specifically. Okay. Right. And and the 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 interest in people on death row is just much greater than the interest of people that are just doing a life sentence, unless unless you somehow gain notoriety, yeah, uh, during your trial. You know, then you may still have that same thing. But most people who who were sentenced to to life in prison, you know, you never hear about. Right. right. So like. Just like Stark in general, like I just had this eerie feeling just being there the whole time. Like the the town obviously has a long history of executing notorious murderers, right? Like Ted Bundy was. It's it's where it's, there. it's where it happens in right. in Florida. I mean, in Florida, yeah, right. Not the only place it happens. The only in Florida. right, right. That's where so that's row the is. one. Yeah. Um, but that shouldn't reflect on the people that live in Stark. No, right. no, right. <laughs> no. Poor but it, it, had, bad rap it, it there. had a vibe. It just had a well, vibe. It probably just... had a vibe in part because you were there in the middle of right. of of, of uh, and that's the only death reason one. why you're there. Right, right. And it, and like and the protesters and and you know from yeah. both sides were there. Yeah. And... and we went to. I mean, we even went to eat. I mean, at, most of the people that we met out in the town, they worked at the prison. They were sure. somehow involved with the prison. Sure. So, like, the town is fed off that prison. That's the primary, um, um, you know, reason for survival up there. Yeah. Right. It's just kind of dark. <laughs> it's just kind of dark, man. Well, and, 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 but throughout this country, you'll find prison towns. And, right. And, and um, it, it's a big business. Prison yeah. is a big business in yeah. this country. I mean, that's probably, you know, I'm hopeful that's that... That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right, it's a whole other yeah, podcast. Right. Because, but uh, I'm hoping that, that this, the um, legis- U.S. Uh, uh, legislature and Senate, that they're going to come up with some new uh, uh, legislation here in, before the end of the year that's going to give us some relief. I mean... That what, they won't be run for, like, profit? No, that that's going to give them more discretion to, like, you know, reduce some of these outrageous sentences. I right. mean, we, we've been in this, you know, really almost the entire time that I've been practicing criminal defense law, we've been in this, you know, let's lock them up, you know, put, throw away the key and, right. and warehouse people attitude. And, and mm-hmm. so, I mean, we have a lot of people that are doing life sentences for Drug offenses that are just like right. that aren't know, that big didn't ha- didn't harm anyone. I mean, they didn't, you know, yeah, they provided drugs to people, uh, and and unfortunately, there's a huge demand for for drugs, and and it will always be there uh, until we fix the the, uh, the the addiction aspect of it if it can be fixed. So, but instead, we just keep locking people up, and and so families, you know. Um, don't have fathers and 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 mothers and and I mean it's just it's it's been crazy and so they're finally starting to realize, wait a minute, we need to like maybe come up with some sort of a escape valve of sorts that's mm-hmm. going to, you know, give some discretion to let some of these people out a little earlier. Right. Now, when you describe to me um, the first time you went to death row, the guy that you saw who gave you a certain stare that made you feel it like pierced you, pierced right. your soul. Can you explain to me the difference between certain kinds of people that you meet on death row on, on murder, capital murder, right. like the difference between people like that guy who you saw that was staring at you or people like maybe for instance, Oscar Bolin. Right. So, um, <clears throat> First of all, the person that I actually visited with was was a wonderful, wonderful guy. 
um, is a father, had, had uh, two children that um, left behind when he, when he was sentenced to death. And, uh, and he had found purpose um, on death row. I mean, he, he, he was able to interact to some degree with other inmates, younger inmates, and was able to convey a message of if, you know, when you get out, stay out of trouble and, and yeah. try to have a better life. But there was a guy, and I'm not going to name him because, you know, uh, right. there's no need for that, but, but there was a guy that, that was sitting across from him, and, and um, he did have, and, and, and understand, I was 22. Um, I was 22 years old at the time, uh, skinny little college kid, and um, he had a piercing look. I mean, he... he and, and knowing his history, um, probably as close to the psychopath, if not a psychopath, that, that you come. And, and basically, when I say psychopath, it's someone who doesn't have any feelings or, 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 or they're lost way, way inside of him somewhere. Right. I mean, they don't uh, realize right from wrong. And... I, I, I don't know if... if I, I don't know if they realize right from wrong, but they just don't have... It's like no one's home. It's like... It's it's like... Um, there's, no, I, there's a disconnect or something. There's a complete disconnect. And, and, and uh, you know, at the time, it was the first time I'd really ever seen anything like that. And, and um, I've dealt with a few clients, not many, um, less than a handful, Uh who were similar in the sense that it did, there was no, no feelings, no empathy. Um, the majority of people on death row and in prison are people that have empathy, that have feelings. Um, the um, one of my clients who who um, was probably of similar nature, although he never had that piercing stare that, uh, that, that I so vividly remember from death row, um, was a, a person who was an admitted serial killer. Um, and, um, you know, I, I specifically remember um, sitting in court with him when one of the women who fortunately was able to escape and 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 survive uh, uh, his his attack was telling the jury about her experience on I four and how she was initially tied up uh, sitting in the car uh, watching families on their way to Disney World you know kids happy and. And 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 she talks about how she basically was certain that she was about to get, you know, killed and yeah. maybe raped, and and uh, that this was the end. And um, and as he's describing what happened, and and she so she was a petite woman, and she had convinced my client to allow her to be untied and 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 to sit next to him because it, it, um, I don't know if you remember the story about Ted Bundy where the door handle is broken and the, the, the window crank but this is before they had the power windows, power windows. Okay. Yeah. The, the window was, was not working so basically he was trapped he couldn't get out right um, and um, so she's describing all of this and he and, had it set up like that he had it set up it was yeah. set up like that right. I mean that was his I mean admittedly I mean he He's the one that came forward later on uh, and, and brought the authorities to mm-hmm. some of his victims and, and uh, what have you. But I remember her telling the story, and, and at, at one point she says, and then he stabbed me in the leg with his knife. And my client got all upset and, 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 and said some derogatory words about her to me and, and, and says to me, I didn't stab her, I cut her. And it's, you know, basically, you're completely missing the whole point. Right, right. right you know, right. it doesn't really matter. And, right. and, you know, but the sad thing about someone like him is that he had a horrific childhood. 
and and I, you know I don't believe it's genetic. I think I think it's it, it is behavior that repeats itself, and and then some people are just so horrifically abused that they they can't feel, they can't, they 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 they're incapable of 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 loving and and showing emotions and caring because they've just been nobody ever gave it to them they never had anything they never had uh you know uh, the safety of a home right they never had uh, the safety of parents that would provide for them mm-hmm. they never uh you know um they were abused by the people that were supposed to love them you know so it, i don't i i like to think that that um we're all born as decent human beings, and 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 uh, unfortunately, some of us get a real bad hand, and and uh, and sometimes uh, turns us into people that just don't have feelings, and and yeah. But th- but those are few and far between. Like I said, I've represented thousands of individuals, uh, mostly on very serious crimes, and 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 the ma- the vast majority of them are good people who had a bad day or a bad week. And and uh, made a bad decision. Made a bad decision. Yeah, and um, certainly not someone that should be locked up and have the key thrown away. So, wow. And what happened eventually um, when this guy gave up a bunch of evidence towards a bunch of other crimes? Right. So he. So so this guy. You know, he was on. He was serving life for kidnapping of the woman who survived. Mm-hmm. And he had been on uh, serving life for about ten years. And Can we say this guy's name or no? No, I no, prefer okay. not. Okay. I prefer not. Um, the um, so he ends up co- contacting law enforcement to basically say, um, uh, "I want to help you guys solve some murders." Uh, and and the reason. He wanted it was twofold. He he wanted to go on field trips with right. law enforcement. You know, he he was a manipulator for sure. He wanted to go on field trips with law enforcement so that he they could stop at McDonald's and get a burger and you know what have you. Um, but also, he was tired of being in general population. He was tired of being, you know, in prison serving time with a bunch of other people serving life sentence. And so he, you know. He, he his his statement was that he wanted to, to be on death row to go to death row right now initially they didn't really believe him uh then on one of the victims he basically told him about a newspaper article that you know was 20 years earlier or 15 years earlier about a skull that was found in a particular river here in central florida you said, uh, you know, you go to the FDLE evidence locker, you get that skull, you take a DNA sample from the skull, and you go to this woman in North Carolina, and you get her DNA, and you'll find out that the woman in North Carolina is the mother of the victim. And sure enough, that's what it was. And this guy was, this guy was I mean, he would, he would remove all the teeth, he would remove the jaw, and he would, and everything would be dispersed in different areas. So very difficult to, to make an identification. Usually you do identifications from, from dental. dental. Yeah. And so you couldn't do it because they were all missing. They were all extracted. Um, so our only real argument to keep him from going on death row uh, at that point, and, and, and by that time he, he was kind of wishy-washy about where he wanted to go, but was that he had provided information to help them solve all, you know these other murders um the um but the the woman who testified about her experience on i four was so powerful that uh, you know he ended up on death row um, and um he lived there a few years until I received a phone call. On a, I think it was on a Saturday morning from the chaplain at the Florida State Prison, basically telling me that he had died during the night. He and had died from execution from, or no, from natural no, natural causes during okay. the night. He had cancer. Okay. Mm. And um, and I remember saying to him, "So what? 
you know, why, why are you calling why, me? Why are you calling me? I mean, you know, and and evidently he had put me down as the person to contact in case of an emergency. You were the only one he put. I down. was the only one. I was the only one he had. There was no one, no one else. And um, and I said, and I said, well, what does that mean? And and he said, well, if you do nothing, we're going to bury him on the prison grounds. And but if you're willing to pay for his cremation, which was like three hundred dollars or something like that, um, then you can get get his ashes and take him off the prison grounds. And so I paid for his cremation and got him out of prison. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> so you and still have this guy's ashes? No. Uh, uh, a uh, Catholic priest who knew him um, gave him a proper burial. And so uh, he's been buried somewhere in the Jacksonville area. Incredible yeah. story. Do you, I mean, do you ever get any kind of criticism for for the humanism you display with the people that you associate with, the people you you defend and... I mean, big time. A lot of people, I'm sure, don't understand it. I've 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 received hate mail. I've I've received uh, phone threatening phone calls. Um, um, I've had to shut down my Facebook page because of of, of uh, you know, angry uh, people who don't really understand. You know, I don't endorse criminal activity. I don't endorse. Right killing people I, I i don't you know uh i i wouldn't want to experience the pain of having lost a loved one um you know but i but i recognize that as i said earlier life is a bunch of different shades of gray it's not black and white right. and we're all fellow human beings um and so I have no problems doing what I do, and and I have no problems uh, trying to humanize someone who, when you at first reflection, may appear to be a monster. I mean, that's my that's my job in those type of cases, and mm-hmm. and and uh, think I'm good at it, and and, and um, I'll keep doing it. So, what do you think the biggest thing in your career? Um, representing these drug cases, these murder cases, what is the biggest thing that you've learned that you've taken away from all of it? Whether it be a personal thing or something or like a message to project out into society, is there one thing that you could that you can point out that's like, yes, that's the one thing that that I've learned from all these people and from all these experiences? Yeah. yeah. I think probably the biggest thing that I've learned, I mean, and I thought about that a little bit. Um, yeah. Um, and I'm going back and forth yeah. on it, but so when I when I first became a defense lawyer, uh, I thought that my biggest problem as a defense lawyer would be to represent people who were charged with DUI manslaughter or people who had done something because of, they were under the influence. And the reason for that was that my dad struggled with alcohol and drug addiction. Mm. And I had this incredibly strong belief that it was a choice and, 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 and you know, that it was no excuse. And, and I, what I've learned over the years is, you know, we all have struggles. Uh, and, and I have no problems representing people that, because the majority of the people that I represent do stupid stuff when they're under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're generally good people. They're people that have a story, that may have a, a, a reason why they ended up being addicted. I mean, I have, I've represented wonderful veterans who, who, who um, um, did incredible deeds for the United States, and then, but the, but the PTSD and, 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 uh, you know, it's a struggle. Life has mm-hmm. become a struggle, and and um, um, one of the things that 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 I tried to talk to potential jurors about, especially in in criminal cases, is the fact that we're all different, and we all deal with adversity in different ways, and some of us are better at it, and some of us are not so good at it, but we're all still the same, and and so. I think the biggest thing that I've learned from it 
um, is I think I have a better understanding of people and people that, you know, commit crimes. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I think the, 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 the biggest message, I think, for, that, that I would, you know, tell young lawyers and people that would be involved in, in doing what I do is mm -hmm. to learn to listen. You know, to learn to listen to your client, uh, their families, their stories, mm -hmm. and then help convey that to show, you know, that they're decent people who just misunderstood and made some bad decisions. Right. So, all right. Wow. Heavy shit. Good enough for tonight. <laughs> Pretty yeah. good. Awesome, man. Any, right. any, anything, anything for the future? Anything now in the in the near future? Exciting you got going on? Or I got. Bunch of stuff going on, but uh, don't really want to talk about yeah, ongoing not. cases, yeah. but yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to keep doing this for a long time. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. We've learned a lot and uh, some pretty incredible stories. All right. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone. All right. <laughs>